Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 19th day of December 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution. And we will be starting with the second paragraph that says, The Great Fact This Is. And we will start with that and read the spiritual experience with that. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Lois M., the 12 Traditions, Nancy S., and then Larry K., Alice M., and Sarah W. And the share ID for yesterday, Thursday, the 18th of December, is 7121. 7121. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Lois M. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois M., a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts, and privileged to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous today. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. The exact nature of our wrong, excuse me. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these 
principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. And I will now ask Nancy S. to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, Monica, and good morning, everyone. This is Nancy S. from Wisconsin, a recovering compulsive overeater. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Thank you. The 12 traditions of OA. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles, before personalities. Thank you for letting me do this service, and I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Nancy S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And so today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution. We are on page 25, and we are going to be beginning with the second paragraph, The Great Fact Is, and then moving into the spiritual experience, which is on page 567. And I will ask Larry Kay to begin reading, please. 
Thanks, Monica. Uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsible Reader from Chicago. And thank you for your service. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. And flipping over to appendix spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that one need have, uh, that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle, which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Again, this is Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsory Overeater from Chicago. So... You know, how did these, how did this practical program of action result in having had a deep and effective spiritual experience? You know, for one's life to be uh, revolutionized, you know, that's, that's pretty dramatic. Um, we're talking about a radical and fundamental shift in all manner of thought and behavior. And that's indeed what happened to me. And 
I can tell you that if, if I could have brought about this change in myself, you know, let me tell you that, that I was certainly trained to do that. You know, self-knowledge and, and synthetic worldly understanding. I mean, I had that in droves. I, I had that in abundance. And yet, when I arrived at, at your doorstep, I was a dead man walking. I mean, I was truly suicide on the layaway plan. I mean, you know, Larry came from Chicago, just another sad statistic. That that was the direction I was headed. And and yet, God had another plan for me. And, you know, the big book provided a roadmap for my ultimate freedom. And, and maybe your experience was different, but I can assure, you know, you of one thing, that I didn't. I did not get to these rooms to have a spiritual awakening. That that's not why I came here. You know, the first 164 pages of the Big Book, which is the program of of action, introduced me to some, some essential principles that were embedded in these steps, and that took me from the scrap heap of life to to a life that I could not have imagined. And and, and this is a miracle that that really defies scientific law. You know, it, it was about surrendering the inflated self. I mean, for me, the essence of the program is captured in the passage that says we work out our solution on a spiritual as well as an altruistic plane. So if I'm truly powerless, I cannot rescue myself. You know, a person who is drowning, I mean, they usually can't even shout for help. They have to be saved. And so for me, reliance on a higher power, well, I didn't have a white light experience like Bill Wilson, you know, my disease is in remission, nonetheless. I mean, the steps brought me into alignment with God's will, and, I, and I've never been the same since that time. And yeah, I have not had to pick up food, but for me, the spiritual transformation, it was about redemption. Redemption just means the action of being saved. My life was spared. So in other words, the exchange for, for clearing away my debt of self-centeredness through a a specific process of action steps, that enabled me to gain possession of a new and, and different life, a life of service today. And, and I wasn't too concerned about the damage that I inflicted on others. You know, I, I was aware of it, but I was powerless to do anything to change this, this tendency in myself. So redemption came from the willingness to, to face the wreckage of my past and mend the bridges, you know, that I had burned with others. And, you know, selfishness, it says on page 62, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Above, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. And the big book is very, very clear on this. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll end finally by saying, you know, step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, my, our very lives depend on, you know, on the constant thought of others, how we may help meet their needs. And, you know, if you help someone up the hill, you get closer yourself. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. It saved my life. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry Kay. And would anyone like to comment on the spiritual experience? This is Katie, Katie G from Boston. Katie. What? Rabia. Katie, <laughs> Katie G. Oh, Janice. gosh. Rabia. I heard somebody in between Katie G and Rabia. Janice. Katie F. Janice. Katie F. 
Awesome. Okay, let me say who I have, and then I I know I've missed a couple. Larry, um, Katie G, Rabia, Janice, Katie F, Vasa, and who else did I hear that spoke up? Sheila, Barbara, Sheila, Suji. All right. Well, okie dokie. Let's get started with that. And remember, everybody, please, uh, we're going to keep it to around three minutes, and I will say the word time when three minutes has come. And with that, Katie G, you're on. Good morning, Monica. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, grateful to be on the line and abstinent and sober by the grace of God on a Friday morning. <clears throat> what a privilege it is to be reading spiritual experience. And, um, you know, when my sponsor and I went through this, and, and I continue to try and remember this, we talked about this contempt prior to investigation, and that's really what I want to focus in on because those are, the, those are the blocks for me, right? What's contempt? Bitter scorn, dislike, defiance, disrespect, disregard, despise. For me, what that meant is that even when I was in the gutter, in the hell of compulsive overeating, if people offered me a solution, I was like, well, you know, this is what I think I should do. And what, I, what had to happen for me is I had to be completely badly mangled to the point where I knew, like, we've, we've gone through, right, like, I am powerless over food. I have no power, choice, or control around the food. And my life is unmanageable whether I'm eating or not. But what's the problem? The problem is I have a mind that promises me, this book promises me that I am going to eat again no matter what, unless what, unless I get a solution. And what's the solution, God? And I want... God, every single day, sincerely, I want God, but I can still be the I know guy, right? Like, I can be like, okay, God, you know, I'm abstinent today, and I I believe that you are greater than me and that you're helping me, but you know what? I'm just not sure that I want to give you... I'm not sure I want to give you my job. I'm not sure I want to give you my relationship. And this is contempt prior to investigation. This is me being the I know guy, going out into my life and saying, I know. And what this, this um, on page 25, what's amazing is it's talking about, like, not just a little bit of change, right? Like, I have to be revolutionized. Everything, every way I have of living, which is I have this natural tendency to go back, to fight, to say, okay, how am I going to get my needs met? And that's not who I can be today. And it's not like I can suddenly make the decision, you guys, to be like, you know what, I'm not going to focus on myself today. Why? Because I have a a, a thinker. My thinking is naturally going to bring me back to me. I can't take a middle-of-the-road solution. I must. I need these steps every day. I had to get unblocked by doing the steps going through four through nine, and I got to be honest, I got to keep doing the steps every single day. You know, like I am recovered today from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I have God today, but I got to turn to him every single moment. And when the fear comes up and when the resentment comes up, to go to, to realize, okay, I'm blocked from God. What is my solution today? You know, and um, my butt was on fire when I got into the stuff. I had been eating and then I had not been eating and trying to live my life on, okay, I know the, I know the solution. But, you know, what, what does it promise me here? Well, it's going to fail. It is going to keep me in everlasting ignorance. It is going to continue to block me from God. And can Time. I take the risk today, thank you, of saying I don't know. And when I don't know, God can shine in. And with that, I do pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie G. Rabia, you're next. 
Good morning, everyone. This is Rabia, compulsive overeater from New York, and good morning, dear fellow visionaries. I heard this in a much different way this morning, so gentle, and um, so any alcoholic capable of honestly uh, facing our problems, we can recover. And so here's the first principle of these steps is honestly. And so I need to have a psychic change. And so simply that means I have to change from living in the problem to living in the solution. And that's a huge paradigm shift. Um, however, it's possible through the 12 principles of all of these steps. And so so the first one is is meeting up with all of you, of course, you know, as my hope that recovered on this, you know, all of, so many recovered people on this line, and I do believe I can be recovered also. So, so I start in the first step of honesty, the hardest step to be entirely abstinence, to peel away all those levels of resistance and defiance and and the food and um and decide, you know, with guidance what entire abstinence means to me to go forward into into the rest of these principles. And so the essentials of recovery are willingness, honesty, open mindedness, you know, the principles of the first four steps, honesty, hope, faith courage and and so one by one allowing these principles to manifest in my life to come alive in my life to be shown how to live by these principles one day at a time to go forward in the steps to to allow this paradigm shift to happen to start living in the solution and living in the solution begins with step one, with putting my food down, I've already made a huge paradigm shift. And then it's staying close in the middle of the herd with all of you and keep moving forward in spite of um, my resistance. And I'm so blessed to be here with all of you this morning. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rabia. And Janice, you're up, and then it'll be KDF. Janice? Yeah, good morning, and thank you. Thank you, Monica, and everyone. Uh, my name is Janice M. I'm, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I want to take it from a different angle, just for if anybody is new. And I know for myself, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, in the past um, ask me, well, what's the difference between a spiritual experience and a, and a spiritual awakening? Well, it's very simple. First of all, the spiritual awakening, you know, the spiritual experience is what Bill had after after he implemented the 12 steps. It wasn't when he put down the alcohol. Because people say, well, I had a spiritual experience. Well, yeah, you may have to have a clarity, a certain clarity in your mind because the food was down. Um, but that's not a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening. I can I only obtained a spiritual awakening after a length of time, slowly, over a length of time, after I implemented these steps. 
That's why number 12 is having had a spiritual awakening. Um, you know, what's the difference between the experience? This is what this whole, this whole appendix is clarifies, the difference between experience and awakening. Now, it's a change. Yeah, Did, when I was abstinent, I changed. I changed physically. But I didn't change psychologically, psych, a psychic change. I didn't. I wasn't transformed from a tra- from a restless, irritable, uh, uh, calm person. I was worse. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, I, I didn't get have my food. So uh, that wasn't a spiritual awakening. You know, did I did I did I have the fear of myself, the shame, the remorse, the guilt removed? No. I just had the food down. The spiritual awakening for me was the implementation. It's a change. The secret word is change, change. And Bill uses, the book uses uh, spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, psychic change, transformation, personality change. They all mean the same thing. But it's not abstinence. Abstinence, you need abstinence to be recovered. But you cannot be recovered without abstinence, which means the spiritual awakening comes after we implement the steps. And then I changed. Then I had peace of mind. Then I had serenity. You know, then I had a power greater than myself that would walk me through the calamities of my life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. KDF, you're up, and then Vasa. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And um, I was going to talk on the same thing that Katie G. did, but thankfully this is a a huge, packful um, reading. So I want to focus on the paragraph um, on page 568 that says, Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. And, you know, when I first got abstinent, I mean, I think I was afraid of my sponsor. I was afraid that I would never get it back. I was afraid of I don't know what. And I, I certainly didn't recognize that I had had a spiritual experience at that time. But I do know that I have never gone back to the food um, because in the interim, I have had a spiritual experience that keeps growing one day at a time. And, you know, my MO was that my situation was always unique. I was different. This was too hard. I, um, I had no other choice. You know, I, I did the best I could. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm impulsive. I'm this, I'm that. And everything was all about me and... Um, but was what was missing is honestly facing my problems and honestly talking about what was going on between my ears, through my mind, and getting that stuff out. And, you know, I've been absent for a long time, and I continue to grow in my level of honesty and my level of freedom. It's amazing. It's amazing that you, we keep growing spiritually, but, you know, the fact is if you don't keep growing you will go back to where you were. And, you know, that is proven over and over and over again by the people who choose, for whatever reason, I don't know why, to go back and try that desperate experiment. 
And, you know, thank you, God, I get nauseated. Like my throat closes up practically like I have a peanut allergy when I think about picking up, you know, the Hershey Kisses in the bin uh, 10 feet from me right now. You know, I, I do not have an impulsive desire to pick up that food. And I believe that God has given me that um, physical reaction to it, that it's like, no, <laughs> you know, because I used to have no physical reaction. It was just catapulted into my mouth by my own hand, seemingly without my will even being consulted. I just did it. And today I have that pause. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Vasa, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm Vasa. Oh, compulsive overeater. We got a compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And thank you, Monica, for your service. And thank you for everybody being there this morning. I cannot do this by myself. Thank you. I'm so grateful for Overeaters Anonymous. For me, I was so desperate uh, when I came to my first meeting uh, of Overeaters Anonymous, and that was my last stop. And I tried for many, many, many years. Like I've heard everybody else, how to control, how to manage the food. I've used even little, uh, and and I was anorexic or bulimic. I even used bulimia a few times in my life. So I know what they're talking about, people that are doing bulimia too. Well, as I shared many times, my sponsor 12-stepped me for one week before I came to to my first meeting. And she told me how the program worked, you know, how the steps worked. But the most important thing that I learned from home, from her was I needed to surrender to God on my knees and put the food in God's hands and turn my life and my will to the care of God. And um, I just was so willing and I was so ready to do it anyways. I just felt like at that time I had nothing to lose. I was losing my life anyway. Anyways, I was dying gradually, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I was ready. I was ready to do whatever she told me to do. And we went to our first meeting. And, um, you know, I went in the bathroom. We said goodbye to each other from our driveway. And I went in the bathroom and I locked the door. I didn't want my family to think I was crazy. And I went and I surrendered on my knees right there near the toilet. And I remember saying, my, I remember saying, geez, what do my parents think? You know, here, I'm finding, I'm surrendering to God in, in my bathroom with the door locked. I should be doing this in church. Well, guess what? God is everywhere. God was in the bathroom, too. And I did the biggest surrender at that time. I said, God, I put the food in your hands. And I was a little hesitant, hesitant with my life and my will. I was a little scared, but I was 150% sure I wanted to put the foot in God's hands. And, uh, and I went through the motion, and I said, please help me. And I had a big spiritual experience at that moment. I was shocked. I didn't know what had happened to me. And, um, you know, I did hear the voice. I, I felt like this power go through my body. And I heard a small voice say to me uh, something about forgiveness, acceptance, and and, uh, honesty. And uh, I was just shocked. I didn't think this God was, I thought he was going to strike me down or raise me. Well, I was raised. Boy, was I, I was rocketed, you know. We 
and joy, and I remember feeling that burden just lifted on my shoulders. And I remember I had it for the bath, for the kitchen to go and eat, and that voice came back to me, said, Vasa, you just time. My, I'll just wrap it up. Vasa, you just put the food in your in my hands. You're going to go in the kitchen. I got scared, and I turned around, and I went in the bedroom. And I could not wait to tell my sponsor what happened. But that was just the beginning. I, I still had the fears and anxieties. I had to continue. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Sheila, you're up. And what's the uh, initial of your last name, please, Sheila? Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Good morning, and what's the, what, what's the initial H? H? Sheila H. H from New York. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm sorry. Sheila, okay. go ahead. All right. Sheila H. from New York, recovering a day at a time. Thank you for your service. I could never um, pass an opportunity to give my HD God um, praise for being so profound in my life. You know, I my work was to figure out what could I do other than turning to food, people, and things, right? And so my, I had a mental exception, which I thank this particular group introducing to me that I didn't know about a mental obsession until I started doing the work in the big book with this particular group. And so that mental obsession and that food kept me to lock um, a relationship with my higher power. And so that when I began to do the work to move the wreckage of my past, as I was carrying that around like I was carrying around the extra pound, once I moved the wreckage of my past, then I realized that a uh, power greater than myself was always with me. You know, and there are times when this still can kind of come in and kind of block me because that, that disease just kind of hangs out. It doesn't really go anywhere. It just kind of gets quiet, but I know it's there. So it keeps me on my toes, keeps me in the book, keeps me doing service and being of service. Um, and I'm grateful for my fellows. You know, my HP is there, but my fellows and my village angels that I've reached out to and created helps keep me grounded when life gets in the way. But the biggest gift I can say that I have since I've been doing this work is that um, I, my HP whispered to me, thank you for just the way you are. Just the way I created you, you are enough. And so no titles, no positions, no means anything. Except that and get out of my way and let God have his way, then I have a fighting chance. And for that, I take every opportunity to give God praise and glory. And I just want to take a minute to wish all my fellows a happy, healthy, and an abstinent holiday. Thanks for letting me share, and thank you for your service. Thank you, Sheila H. And Suji, you're up. Good morning. Yes. Suji, gratefully recovered in southeastern Pennsylvania, and I restate this. Good morning, good morning, Monica, Monica. Thank goodness you're there, and thank goodness all of you fellow visionaries are there. Um, as for me today, one of me is is more than enough for today. Uh, I'm listening to a fifth step later on, and I will have to quiet down. But this part of the book really thrills me. Um, So here we are in Appendix 2, and the appendix is a vestigial organ, and I looked it up in my big book dictionary. It has vestiges. Vestiges, signs of something lost. So in in this Appendix 2, I I find great inspiration, and and it's that it allows for everybody's 
spiritual experience, whatever it is, spiritual awakening, experience, or something in between, that that we each have a place here. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So that takes me to another vestigial organ, that is an organ that was lost, the appendix. We don't really need our appendix anymore. Surgeons take it out of us when it gets infected. We don't use it for anything anymore. But, but well, we might remember it so we don't die from acute appendicitis. So here we are now in, in this, this uh, appendix, and I turn to Appendix 1, the 12 traditions, because we're in the heart of the matter here. We're, we're in a place where we've got steps one, two, and three screaming out at us, and then the appendix comes saying, wait a minute, maybe not all of us have it screaming out at us. Maybe some of us just have gradual experiences that add up to a spiritual experience. So I look to the traditions because in my meditation process in in recovery, I find that the tradition, we're, we're kind of in the bridge. We're in steps two and three here, one, two, and three, the, the God steps. And the bridge for me is tradition two. And it says, for our group's purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he can express himself in our group conscience. That was the original, the long form of tradition two. But it got longer in the final form because the final form says, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. So if you look to the fellowship for support to get you from steps one to two to three, and this tradition two is the bridge between two and three, step two and three, then you can continue on your step journey. So, so I urge everybody, go, go sideways to the traditions and then the next step, and you'll, you'll find out something even better. Thanks for letting Time. me and I pass. Thank you, Suji. Would, any, would anyone else like to comment on this? Barbara. Lois. Lois. Barbara. Okay, Lois, you're up, and then Barbara. <laughs> I was so afraid. I had to jump right in. There's so many wonderful uh, people waiting to share their experience. Good morning, everyone. Lois in Massachusetts. And um, so many things, you know, uh, jumped out. Well, the first thing I heard and stayed with me was, we, we must be rid of this self, selfishness and self-centeredness or it'll kill us. And, and then I thought about that and I'm going, well, how does a, you know, how does a self-centered, selfish person get rid of it, you know? I mean, my, my whole, my, my, uh, per, per, my mind was distorted with, you know, me, thinking about me, how you wronged me, you know, how fearful I was, how, how wonderful I was and how hurt, you know, how, how you hurt me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, the miracle of this uh, program is just so, you know, just overwhelming for me when I try to express, you know, the miracle of, of this book of Alcoholics Anonymous written to uh, help us to recover from the disease of alcoholism. And every word in it for me today is, is something to reflect on. And the second point uh, that that was about it, when reading, when listening to the spiritual experience being read, well, you know that's the second most important thing. 
that that was the uh, the the spark for me. It was like a spark. It was like a flimsy reed, you know. Really, just like the book said, I had an experience. Like uh, it was like just all of a sudden, I I knew I was going to make it, and um, I know that was the grace of God because I had been trying for years and years. But so um, the second the second important thing was the spiritual experience for me was a gift. And that gift was hope. You know, it's so simple, right? It was uh, the gift of hope where, you know, by trying and trying to recover, trying this selfish, self-centered person, trying to get over herself, you know, is I was in a pit. Of, you know, I was in quicksand and sinking quicker, quickly and quickly. And so the first gift of this program in this, you know, trying to apply these steps to myself, wanting to, knowing and learning. You know, I, first of all, I didn't know. I didn't know what my problem was. I didn't know it was me. I didn't know what the solution was. So when I learned that, but still, the, you know, the, the burden of trying to do this was, was hopeless for me. And that was the second, the second gift was the gift of hope. That was my spiritual gift. And, you know, and anybody has to start with that, in my opinion. I had to start with that because the the hope opened up, you know, lightened my heart and gave me, yeah, okay, maybe I can, you know, Cause, because uh, my, my, my mind, my heart was distorted, you know, with hopelessness. And, and, uh, and to be given the gift of hope was very, very big. And that's what I started with, like maybe some of you. So hopefully, if you're if you're on the line today and you're just beginning your your recovery journey, you know, please just stay just stay with with the, with your with your program. Just keep coming, just keep coming, and and trying to become teachable. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois and Barbara. You're up. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a recovery compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. And it's so wonderful to be looking this morning at the spiritual experience. And um, there's just so much to look at in my own experience. And uh, right off the bat, when it talks about the first paragraph under spiritual experience, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Well, very wisely, an early guide sponsor made very clear to me that I wasn't looking for, a, for me, a burning bush sudden upheaval as, you know, a great white light. That was not my experience. It could be someone else's as it was Bill's. But I needed to go slowly through the steps and be one of these people that experienced the educational variety. I had to come to believe. In fact, one of the early books she gave me was the AA book, Came to Believe. And um, so I used it, and I wanted it, but I still felt that I had to do it. I had to bring about this personality change. I had to transform myself. I mean, I spent my whole life trying to transform myself physically, emotionally, and confusing religion with spirituality, uh, try to transform myself religiously. Uh, So in this program with my uh, living in the steps, working the steps slowly and coming to believe and very clearly seeing that God is doing for me what I couldn't do it for myself. I tried my whole life, both with uh, changing the eating behaviors, changing my emotional reactions, changing my lack of discipline with spiritual practices. God had to give me the grace to do it, but I had to accept that 
and put my left foot in front of my right foot and go into action. Um, so that educational variety and getting to the point where I see that I do have an inner resource. I was so clogged with junk food and with anger and fear, resentment, all that stuff. How could I have an inner resource that would really be a higher power, uh, a power greater than myself? And once again, the people with experience before me said, you know, your true self is your abstinent self. So I was had to just take their word for it that someday I would get in touch with this any resource, and indeed I have, and it has it has transformed my life and my whole way of living, uh, for which I'm very grateful. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. And let's go back to page 25. And Alice M., would you please read for us the last paragraph? Yes, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. And uh, this is one of my favorite paragraphs um, because it just has such meaning to me. When I look at, if you you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, for me that's translated um, that, you know, I know I am, if I believe, and I do, that I am a critical level food addict and late stage bulimic, which I am, then there is no alternative, there is no middle of the road solution for me. And how I look at that is there's no, I have to go back to the food here. That's the first thing that has to be down for me. There is no playing around with my abstinence. Um, I'm, I'm willing today and I do work a very rigorous program with my food. Um, and these are all things that I need to do because I can't, I, can't do half measures. Um, half measure for me might be total 100% honest abstinence for someone else, but as to thine own self be true. You know, so the, there's no longer a question of do I weigh and measure my food? No, I weigh and measure my food. I eliminate all non-nutritive items um, that I need to. Um, my abstinence today is black and white. I have a high level of surrender around it and accountability. And I, I so much wanted to have hang out in that middle of the road and not have to weigh and measure my food in restaurants and whatever. You know, it, it, I tried it. It didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. And um, the two alternatives, oh, I, I got that. Um, you know, and where it says one was to go on to the bitter end blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation. For me, that basically was, and I did this at one time in my life, I threw up my hands and surrendered to the disease. So to that alternative was to surrender to my disease and await death. Through suicide, probably. Just surrender to my disease and await death. Um, and the other one was to accept spiritual help. And in that, for me, that came in in the form of people presenting a very structured format of OA to me, 
um, that I would be willing to work. Um, again, you know, the highly structured food plan, high level of accountability, um, because, you know, abstinence to me, my abstinence is a spiritual practice for me. It is absolute spiritual practice. Um, and I honestly want to live today, and I can't live if I'm not adhering 100% to my structured plan of eating. And um, I'm just, you know, I, there's, there's no, I can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere in my recovery in the steps if I'm still trying to convince myself that I can get by with half measures, with light structure um, around step zero, some people call it, putting down the food. Um, you know, I, I have a truth around what my abstinence is. We all do. Um, it may seem too structured to some, and I want to convince myself sometimes it's too structured for me, but I have to go back to that first wording, that first sentence. You know, and if I believe I am a critical level food addict, and I do, there is no middle-of-the-road solution for me around my food, and I accept that today. And... Um, and I'm, you know, I'm moving forward with that, with the food down. I'm moving forward through the principles and standing in the principles and just really, really being challenged with um, with um, practicing those principles in all my affairs. And I'm so glad I'm not doing this alone today. And I pass with that. Thank you, Alice. And would anyone like to comment? We've got seven Kim? minutes. Mary. Kim? Kim Mary. All right, Leia. Kim and Leah. All right, let's go with that. Kim, Mary, and Leah. Kim, you're up. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is a paragraph that really convinced me I had to do the steps. The steps were no longer an option. You know, first of all, life was becoming impossible. That was absolutely true for me. But it was this sentence. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other was to accept spiritual help. So for years I thought the intolerable situation was being in the food. And if that is true, then the solution to the intolerable situation of, of the being in the food is to put down the food, and then my life would be okay. Abstinence would be my solution. But I had to look at what does abstinence bring me? You know, does abstinence make me feel better? Absolutely. It makes me feel anger better. It makes me feel depression better. It makes me feel anxiety better. The consequences for an abstinent, per, an abstinent life for me is restless, irritable discontent. So when I realized my intolerable situation was being abstinent, that leaving aside the drink problem, that I am so uncomfortable living life that I feel like my head is going to freaking explode. And when I am like that, I have two alternatives. One is to blot out the consciousness of that situation, which is to pick up the food, and the other is to pick up the, the steps. So once I realized that, and I stopped worshiping abstinence, absolutely it had to be abstinence. The only way I can work these steps is to put down the food. But if my real enemy is me, and the way that I live my life, and that is so intolerable, and the only solution I've ever had is the food, and now that's no longer working. I think of page 152 where it says, someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. That's when life is impossible. And I cannot live life. The intolerable situation is abstinence. 
So I'm going to have two alternatives. Lot out the consciousness, pick up the steps. Getting consciousness, pick up the food. Spiritual help, pick up the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Mary, you're up. Good morning, everybody. It's Mary A. Sorry. Um, you know, when I came to the rooms eight years ago, I would hear Bob say, I was struck abstinence, and Sue would say she was struck abstinence, and I thought, what the heck does that mean? Because, you know, I just just didn't understand it. And then one morning I was standing in my kitchen, and um, for all my life I have had been very close to God, and for me I have really come to know the living God. And so I've known what it is to have unbelievable experiences and see miracles in my life, but not around the food. So I was 250 pounds in the room, and I was just um, standing in my kitchen listening for the first time and for a few weeks. And the inner voice just said, you know, I just saw the vision interiorly. I saw such a dark, dark sky and the sun about to come up, and I felt God say to me, Mayor, just as you cannot force the sun to come up in the morning, you cannot force a spiritual awakening. And so, but I promise you, and if there's anybody on the line who has struggled for years or just coming like me back then, I just heard that inner voice say to me, just keep coming to meetings and listening and I will speak through these people and the literature and I promise you, you will have a spiritual awakening. But it was 90 days later when I was asked to speak and I said to God, what should I share on? And I never had seen it in the big book and I'm sorry because I went to the back paragraph but I've been really waiting to share. Was the page on spiritual experience and I read this, and bells went off because he said, I'm, you know, our founder said, I'm sorry if we led you to believe that all of you would have this white lightning experience, but really it is one of an educational variety. Bells went off. Of course, for the simplest thing, I didn't even know my disease was called compulsive overeating. I didn't know anything. But day after day, meeting after meeting, I listened to God speaking through all of you, through the literature, and it just came as God said. And, you know, I've heard many of you say that step 12, you know, step 12 really says, and we get this awakening after we have done these steps, and truly it just grows and grows. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Mary. And Leah, you're up. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. It's Leah M. Recovered. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. You know, I kept looking for door number three. Um, This disease kept uh, progressing, and it kept getting uh, more and more painful. Uh, You know, I was always in the boxing ring with the obsession of the mind. Compulsive overeating was in one corner, and I was in the other. And at first, you know, early in my career of compulsive overeating, we simply kind of danced around each other. You know, compulsive overeating would throw a punch, and it would sting, and my eyes would swell shut, and my lips would be bloodied, and I'd 
crawl my way out of the ring and get a self-help book or get a new diet or sit on a couch with a therapist across from me. And this continued, you know, as I would go back in the ring and try to conquer the obsession of the mind on my own until I had been crushed because the disease continued to turn up the heat. And God was either going to be or not. And (laughs) I was either going to be able to be freed from the shackles of this illness or not, because the consciousness that created the problem of compulsive overeating could not be the same consciousness that was going to solve this problem. So through enough suffering and through enough pain and through enough degradation that broke me down, uh, I came to you, <laughs> and 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 someone shared with me, you know, that every breakdown, Leah, is an opportunity for a breakthrough because you are the creator of your own pain, Leah. No one's doing this to you, Leah, and yet you continue to worship your thinking mind and your ego. And there is a way out, and it's called the 12 Steps of Recovery. And you need to separate from your substance, Leah, and you need to press into these steps as if your life depended on it, because it does. And so I began to walk a path that I had never walked before, and I began to experience a God I had never experienced before. And you know what? I became free. And that's the secret of these 12 steps, that indeed it's able to effectuate such a dramatic change in personality and in character and in value, abstinence, not merely just a simple elimination of my binge foods, but a wholeness and a soundness and a restoration, a reordered life, a renewed life, a new life, a new happiness, happy, joyous, and free. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And we've reached the end of our time here this morning. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I will ask Sarah W. please to read from A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Monica, for your service. This is Sarah W., a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.